good to be here with you all. Today, we are starting a brand new series, and you thought you were just coming to church today. <laughs> we're starting a brand new series together. We're actually going back into the Gospel of Matthew. When I first got here, my very first Sunday as just the only pastor here, um, we started in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we jumped the gun a little bit uh, on Christmas. We got a head start. And um, so we were going through Matthew, and then Christmas hit. Then uh, we'll, we'll get into some of that. But today is a new series in Matthew, and it's going to be, I'm, I'm titling it Jesus People. For some of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, there was a movement uh, in the 1960s that was uh, kind of on the heels of the, the hippie movement, uh, a movement I have great affection for because of the great contributions of music that the hippie movement gave, but also because it kind of primed a generation, many of your generation, um, to receive the Lord, to, to accept Christ as their Savior, and to, to live their life for Him. And so I'm co-opting the name. We're not going to be, this isn't like a, a series where we're going in depth into that movement. Um, that's not what this time is for. Really, I, I'm co-opting that name because we're in a part of the Gospel of Matthew that really highlights what it means, what kind of a day in the life of a disciple of Jesus, somebody who followed Jesus. What did that mean? What did it mean to be somebody who was called after Jesus' name? And so we'll spend the next several weeks uh, between Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 12, just kind of unpacking some of that um, together. On just a brief word on discipleship, that's a really big word. Uh, mostly it's not a word that we hear in the world today outside of church. And so if you've never heard that word before, that's okay. <laughs> uh, a lot of it is the word disciple, it's a, it's a Bible word, but it's a word that the closest practice that we would have today would be like apprenticing for a job or some kind of trade work. And so often with uh, trade work or with discipleship, there are three main key movements that happen within discipleship. You are with your mentor, so being with your mentor, the person teaching you. You try to do what that mentor did or does, and you're trying to adopt those skills and trying to employ them in your own life. And then the third is to then become like your mentor. And so in discipleship, when we talk about discipleship, excuse me, I need to adjust my, my cable a little bit. Um, when we talk about discipleship as a church, those are really the three main movements that we kind of talk about, that idea of being with Jesus, doing the things that Jesus would have done, so doing ministry, doing things that show his love to people, and then ultimately, through all that we do as a church, we, our aim is to live like Jesus and to share his love. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and review a few things because, like I said, we haven't been in Matthew for a long time. You can go to the next slide, Richard. So review, 
Gospel of Matthew. What does the word gospel mean? I'm glad you asked. The word gospel, again, it's a Bible word, uh, but it, it literally means good news. And in Jesus' day, there was a lot of different ways that good news could go around. Oftentimes when there was uh, some sort of public announcement from the emperor, it was a good news or a gospel from the emperor. And so the, the New Testament writers, the people who walked with Jesus, they wanted to kind of be subversive to the culture that was already. And so they co-opted this name, gospel. And so that's where we get the four gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so um, the Gospel of Matthew was written by a guy named Matthew. It's pretty awesome that way. I love it. Uh, sometimes there's some books where it's written by other people, and the name's not just in there, but it is with this one. And Matthew, he was a tax collector uh, turned disciple uh, when Jesus called him out of that life to follow him. And when it was written was around the year between 52 in 68 AD. Um, the reason we kind of have that timeline is because it was written sometime before the fall of Jerusalem, which is, it, it's a, a marker in time. You can Google it, and I'm sure you'll find all this cool information about the fall of Jerusalem. The people that Matthew was trying to write to specifically, Matthew was a Jew, and so his main audience that he was trying to reach with the good news about Jesus was the Jews, his people. And so often through the Gospel of Matthew, he will make references to, not today, but he'll make references to, um, this was done to fulfill what the prophet had said. And then he quotes somebody from the Old Testament scriptures. And that's really important because when we think about reading this with 21st century eyes um, as Western people, oftentimes we can just read it at face value that this is what this person is saying, when really maybe they're meaning something slightly different. And so it's good to have that, that in mind. Some key themes that come up in the Gospel of Matthew as a whole, the very first absolute key, cannot escape it, one, is the kingdom of heaven and the idea that uh, God is king and that he has a domain where he is king, where his will is perfectly done. Um, <clears throat> and so that's why even in uh, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives uh, a model for prayer to his disciples, pray in this way, um, one of the very first things that he says is, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we automatically get this sort of, this contrast between the two. Now, we've done three series in the Gospel of Matthew. The first was the king of the kingdom, where Matthew was, in the first four chapters, he is introducing us to Jesus, where he believes at the core of his being, otherwise he wouldn't have written it, that Jesus is the king. 
He is what the Jews would have called the Messiah. He was the promised one who was going to come and set everything right. And the Jews had a certain view of how that was going to be, and Jesus came to kind of turn that on its head. That's the first four chapters. There you go. The, in all of these, you can go online to our website and uh, go back and, and listen to the sermons and get caught up if you'd like, um, or not. Either way, it's, it's all right. So then, following those first four chapters, Jesus begins his ministry in a town called Capernaum, and uh, one of the things that he does it's, is he's going around, he's preaching and teaching that the kingdom of heaven is near, and he's performing a bunch of miracles that nobody can explain other than the power of God is with this man, and this is nothing like we've ever experienced before. And so, on the heels of this beginning of his ministry, we have this great big body of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And the series that we went through is called the Kingdom Manifesto, where really, if you want to know anything about anything that Jesus wants you to know, like just straight to the point about the kingdom of heaven and his, his will and his way, go to the Sermon on the Mount. And he is <laughs> relentlessly just bare bones honest about it. And so that covers chapters five through seven. And then we went into a series called Saving Power, where we, um, we got to see on display Jesus performing great miracles in his day and, and also modeling for his disciples what does it look like to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit in that way. Now, uh, the saving power aspect of it is Jesus was able to do this because the Holy Spirit was with him, and it was to, to point to the fact that Jesus is the Savior who has come to set all things right, that there's a bunch of people who are experiencing all kinds of wrong stuff in their life, mostly ailments or sickness, but also some, you know, spiritual unhealth, and Jesus has come to meet that need to save those people. And as a result, we can claim that hope for ourselves that God has come to save you, and he's come to save me, and he's come to save us both physically and spiritually. So that all brings us to today. You can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is called Cost. Cost. Um, our main passage is Matthew 8, verses 18 through 20. Two. And big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that following Jesus challenges comfort and convention to embody his way. Following Jesus challenges comfort and convention to embody his way. You can go to the next slide. I'd like to share a story with you all. Paying no attention to the logo that's on the cup. This... Uh, this time is not brought to you by uh, the green store there. Um, anyway, um, so when I was in high school, my best friend was named Sam. And we spent all kinds of time together. We played music together. Um, he was somebody who really introduced me to coffee. Uh, believe it or not, it's his fault um, that I am so obsessed with coffee. And one of the things that we would do, he lived really close to the Starbucks at Milwaukee Marketplace. 
And one such winter day, him and I scrounged some money together and we went down to Starbucks and we were going to get some coffee. But then we discovered we didn't have enough for two coffees. We had enough for a coffee, small coffee, and a tea. <laughs> and another piece of information you should know, growing up for me, the only tea that was ever in my house was Lipton black tea. That's it. That's all my parents drink. It's still, still what they drink today. Like, um, and so we were, I had decided I was going to be really refined and sophisticated, and I was going to drink some tea. Well, we, we got up to the, the barista who was at the counter taking the order, and uh, the coffee was easy. Sam was going to have some coffee. But I was like, Sam, what's black coffee? Or like, what's black tea? Because that's all I wanted. That's all I knew. And he just pointed to the display. And where he pointed was Earl Grey. Yeah, you, you know where I'm going with this. So I said, hey, I'll have an Earl Grey tea. So they give us our order. I take one sip. And it was rough. I was not ready for it. I was not. It was just this whole cacophony of flavor just assaulting my taste buds. And so I went and I went to their little, you know, uh, condiment bar and I, I was putting vanilla in there and cinnamon in there. I asked the barista, hey, do you have some honey? Put some honey packets in there. And I, I tried to drink it, but it was like, this is not good. I can't handle this. So I gave it, and <laughs> Sam saw my plight, and he decided, hey, you have the coffee, I'll have the tea. And we, we made out great that way. Um, I share all of this with you because for a number of reasons. Number one, it took everything we had on us to buy this coffee and this tea every last cent that we had. Um, I was not ready for what I had thought I was signing up for with this cup of Earl Grey tea that I found out is not <laughs> just plain black tea. It is something wholly other. And I've since learned I can appreciate a good Earl Grey. So for some of you teetotalers out there, I have matured. Um, but I wasn't ready for it. And in that place of, of unknowing, I, and not being ready, there was a bit of disgust that came in to my life. There was a bit of just, it kind of, a disappointment came to color that situation. Even, I remember just when I took that sip, just the, I don't know the expression on my face, but I can feel that expression on my face of like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. I think you've had some experiences in your life, that's why we can all laugh together <laughs> about that kind of a thing, where you, you're paying all this money or you're giving all this investment toward a thing and it doesn't turn out how you had planned. And then it kind of colors the situation and maybe even causes you to take longer to, to, to get to a certain point of maturity from there. How all this relates to what we're about to, um, about to read, uh, you can go to the next slide, is that 
within this section, remember the, the miracles, the saving power? There's actually a pattern that uh, I had never picked up on before that I, I discovered in some commentaries where in chapters 8 through 12, or 8 through 9 really, there's these sets of three. There's three sets of three, and each of them are broken up by something else. And so we get the first set of three um, miracles that happen is Jesus healed the man with leprosy, he healed the centurion servant, and he healed Peter's mom and a whole bunch of other folks. And then right after that is this moment that we're about to read. And all along through here is there's these two groups of people. There are the disciples, the people who have been devoting their lives to follow Jesus, and then there's the crowd, the people who are really excited by Jesus and can't believe what they're seeing, but they just want to see it more. Um, and so the thing about the three-in-one is that uh, usually whatever happens in the middle of or between those sets of three is something that's really significant and kind of colors what you see happen in those miracles um, and vice versa. And so, as an example, <clears throat> immediately following this, uh, this encounter that Jesus is going to have with some folk um, is the, the time where the disciples were out on a boat and Jesus calmed the storm. And, um, and so what's significant is that idea of endurance and, and all of that. But I'm giving too much away right now. So let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. It's a short passage <laughs> compared to some of our ones in Chronicles the last couple of weeks. Here we go. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Whew. Friends, this is the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, you can go to the, yeah, next slide. The first thing I see in our passage is forward movement and the need for focus. So Jesus, he's perform been performing all these miracles around where he's stationed out in Capernaum. And word is getting out, and people just keep bringing Jesus more people that need healing, which kind of highlights the fact that there's a lot of people in the world who are broken and need this kind of touch from the Lord. And he was literally physically there, so why not bring them to Jesus? And so you see just this mass of people starting to come to Jesus, and then Jesus shifts his focus he, he kind of redirects from what was right in front of him, this big, massive crowd, to let's go across the lake. Let's, 
you know, let's get in the boat and let's cross to the other side. And Jesus had some reason for that. You can read more about it. Um, but there was forward movement that needed a different focus. Another factor for Jesus is that he's been ministering to all these different people, and there's a real place where Jesus was tired. <laughs> it's like, please, no more. <laughs> I need to go take a nap. <laughs> and he did on the boat and freaked the disciples out. So I see that because sometimes for us, you can go to the next slide, it's hard to see the forest from the trees. Sometimes it's hard because we see even good things in front of us, and maybe there are even bad things in front of us that are just so big and insurmountable, and it's like, how do I deal with that? Because it just keeps, keeps coming at me when maybe we're really supposed to just focus on, okay, here's this big forest, but let's focus on just this one tree. What's the next right tree to focus our attention on? And I know for me in my own life, I, I have a challenge with this because I can see really big vision of really big things and even long for that vision, like have this great desire for that. Like I want to experience that. I want to be a part of that. I want to participate in that. All of those things when maybe God is wanting to shift my focus from how great that may be to now I'm going to focus on just this other area. Because for Jesus, I mean, the greatest PR move that Jesus could have done in Capernaum would have been to just keep this train rolling. Let's get people on a schedule. Let's, you know, make a program out of this. And okay, everybody, the great physicians here, let's get you all in line. Let's make sure that, you know, we're not putting the, the demoniacs next to the people with leprosy and like, you know, on down the line, like let's organize this. That's not what Jesus had come to do. Yes, he came to model the kingdom of God and to demonstrate its power, but his, his main goal wasn't just to be some, some show that people got to participate in. It was really to come and save us. And so, that being said, discipleship, following Jesus, challenges comfort and convention to embody his way. And for Jesus, that meant that even in, in the face of almighty success, that it required him to shift his focus away. You can go to the next slide, next slide. There we go. The second thing I see is that comfort and the limits of our commitment to follow. What I mean by that is this. So Jesus, he gives instructions to his disciples, hey, load up the boat, we're going to the other side. But then he's immediately met by this teacher of the law who evidently had seen what Jesus had been doing and was blown away and wanted to follow Jesus too and gives the blanket statement, 
teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, some commentators will point out how this guy uses the word teacher, and only the people who use that specific word for Jesus of, of teacher in that, in the original language, that is kind of like a snide remark. I don't know if that's actually what's going on, because why else would the guy then say, I will follow you wherever you go? This guy was hooked. He was like, I can't explain this. I, I'm imagining that that's what he was saying. You know, I can't explain the things that you're doing. I can't categorize it. I need to follow you. I want to, I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to be a disciple. And even within the Jewish framework of discipleship, a, a, a disciple would seek out the rabbi, the teacher, and would go to them and say, I want to follow you. That's not how Jesus had called his disciples up to that point. He had been the one who had gone to them and chosen them and called them. And so Jesus cuts to the chase. He shoots it straight to this guy. He just says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. What does that mean? First of all, we need to know uh, the title son of man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. Um, it, it comes from uh, the prophet Daniel in chapter 7. There is this vision of the Ancient of Days and telling of the Son of Man who is going to be the Messiah who is going to come and set all things right. And so Jesus here, he's invoking that name to say the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have it so much better than the Son of Man does. Birds who make their own nests have it so much better than the Son of Man does because even though Jesus had a place in Capernaum, he wasn't there very much. He was out camping with his friends <laughs> and, and disciples walking along. You can go to the next slide. Comfort was not on the menu for Jesus. <laughs> um, and so this reminds me of this time. Maggie was like... I see you, love. I see you back there. Maggie was really young, super young. Like we, like maybe a year old, maybe year and a half. I think you know where I'm going with this, Ange. So once upon a camping trip, because Angie and I, we love camping, we decided to go to Beverly Beach. Fantastic idea. I love Beverly Beach. It's amazing. But there was just one problem. It was in the winter and it rained so hard. When we were setting up, it was raining. When we were sleeping, it was raining. When we were trying to cook food, it was raining. It was raining all the time. And if you've ever gone camping and it's raining, you know just the feeling of disappointment <laughs> in this camping trip that we were having. It was so bad because also not only that, just, just to add fuel to my disappointment, you know, our airbed, wouldn't inflate because we didn't, we forgot batteries. Um, <clears throat> and so then, like, we put the airbed down and it was flat and we just slept on the ground. That was a rough night of sleep. But then, not only that, but then because it was raining, it flooded our tent. And so, like, all our stuff is wet, all these different things. And, uh, and Angie was six months pregnant with Reuben. Whew! So, here, here's the deal. Here's what happened. Did you 
No. No, because I stuck through. That's why. Anyway. All right. So, but here's what happens. So we're, we're trying to make the best of it. We're, we're good campers, trying to make the best of the situation, doing all we can do. We go to Abby's Pizza uh, to have some respite from whatever's going on. And we get this phone call from Angie's cousin, who we had met her boyfriend. We had you know, met them, hung out with them, thought everything was great. Turned out it had turned into a domestic violence situation, and she needed a place to stay. Um, she needed to move out from where she was. She needed to, she needed that. And thankfully, you know, we had room in our house to, to accommodate that and to welcome her in and to show her God's love. There were, there was also some difficulty in all of that. You know, learning. Even though we love that cousin, there's learning that dance of, oh, now we have a roommate. Now we can't maybe do things like we would want to do in a certain way. Now, how that all relates to what we're talking about <laughs> is that Angie and I, we as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we've devoted our lives to following Jesus, even when it's hard. And the camping trip, that was like a precursor. That was like this moment right before the storm comes <laughs> where it's like, I thought the camping was, was rough. And sometimes with having a roommate, it can be rough too. But through it all, God's with us. And through it all, God is wanting to, to grow something in us in, his, in becoming more like him and to embody his ways. And that is a challenge. So that makes me wonder, so Jesus, he's talking about foxes and birds, really is not just talking about foxes and birds. Really, to be his disciple means that you are going to sacrifice some comfort in order to follow wherever Jesus says to go. And so this makes me wonder, are we supposed to lean into those moments of discomfort? And as much as I'm saying it to you, I'm saying it to me because we're, we're coming towards the end of a season for Angie and me where it's been a whole season of discomfort for our life. And some of you know our whole story, hopefully all of you do, but like, and I'm not going to go into all that, but are we supposed to lean into the discomfort because that's what God would do, that that's what Jesus did for us, and that through that experience, maybe we, we see a bit more of what it means for Jesus to be our Savior and our Messiah in that place of discomfort? Maybe. Following Jesus, it challenges comfort and convention to embody his way. That means it's not easy, but it's worth it. So you can go to the next slide, next one. So <clears throat> the third and final thing I see is convention and the call to continue. So uh, you can go to the next slide there. There's this word follow. It's not really important that I put the Greek up there other than you should know it was written in Greek. 
and you can do your best to try to say that in your head. <laughs> it, it's a whole big word just to say follow. What that word means to follow Jesus is to be in the same way with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to go after Jesus, to obey Jesus. That's that and kind of more. That's all wrapped up in this little word, follow. Um, and but that's not the most important part about this word. What's most important about this particular word in the text, how it says, when Jesus gives the command to his disciple, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, it's how that word is used. So it, it's a command, it's an imperative word. It means that Jesus really means it and he wants the, the guy to know that this is what it means. The second thing is that the way that word is formed in the original Greek is that it means that it's a continuous, ongoing action. That what Jesus is implying by saying, follow me, is continue in following me. You've been following me. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel yet. Keep going. That's, what, that's the implication of this word is, follow me. Don't stop. But then there's something else. You can go to the next slide then. There's the convention of it all. There's the very practical convention where the disciple, he goes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, let me first go. I think that's how it says. Yeah. Let me first go and bury my father. When we, when we read that phrase, because we are Western, <laughs> 21st century folk, we're not picking up on some of the nuance of it. We might initially think, wow, the father has just died. He needs to go bury the father. When really, uh, it could mean that, but it could also mean that my father is in the process of dying, and so I need to go tend to my father until he dies and, and, and be with my family in that time. That's a practical, understandable concern. Convention would say to this disciple, take care of your mother and father. They, that's how you honor them. Make sure that they are well cared for, that they have a smooth transition from this life to the next. You know, do your diligence to be a good son or a good daughter. Make sure that you're doing that. And convention, by and large, would be right. Let me just say, <laughs> they're right. And yet Jesus, he, he kind of he challenges his disciple here. He says, follow me. Don't stop following me. Keep following me. And then let the dead bury their own dead. There's some people who say that there's some implication of like, the, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. I don't know about all that. What I do know, though, is that you can go to the next slide. Jesus is wanting to challenge this guy that although conventionally, Jesus would even agree, take care of your father and mother, that commandment, <laughs> honor your father and mother, that doesn't go away. <laughs> um, for Jesus, like, go ahead and do that thing. He would agree with that. That's what convention says. And yet, 
Jesus is challenging this disciple to say, but now's your chance. And if you don't do it now, it's going to pass you up. So don't stop following me. Because Jesus only had a, a short amount of time on this earth until he went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again, and then eventually went up into heaven again to wait for his second coming. But there was just a very small window where the people, where this guy could have followed Jesus, and he was willing to give it all for the sake of this convention. And understandable, don't get me wrong, it's an understandable thing, and yet Jesus is saying, will you give that to me too? Will you give that up, that right to that thing, in order to follow me? Um, and this makes me wonder, for you and for me, what is causing us to put off following Jesus? What is, what's standing in your way? If Jesus has spoken, he said something to you, have you done it yet? And for some of us, maybe the answer is, yep, I, I know better than to put this off. For others of us, maybe it's a challenge where it's like, but that's uncomfortable, Jesus. I don't want to do that thing. You know all my issues that I got going on. Why You're asking me to do that? I, I want my nice snuggle pillow <laughs> to, to be, you know, in the nice best western or something. Like, I want to be able to not have to sleep on the ground in a puddle of rainwater <laughs> camping with you. Like, I want, I want comforts in this life, but you're asking me to give that up. I, I have these common conventional things that I really ought to do. This is wisdom. This is what your wo word would even say, and yet you're asking me to give that up. Jesus, what are you doing here? And yet, so some of us, we're facing that as well. And I think the important thing is knowing that following Jesus, it, it will challenge. It challenges, there's no doubt about it, our comfort. It will challenge our convention. Because then maybe our idea and our view of things isn't what God intends for us to see in that moment. And all of that following and challenging and all of that is really meant for us to embody, to become like Jesus and to embody his way of being to the world so that we can be sensitive to the situation and know, is it a time for ministry and work or is it a time for rest? Is it a time to minister to the crowd and to get out there and put your hand to the plow and like get the job done? Or is it time to get into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake and to redirect our focus? I can't answer that for you. I just know that for us in this time as we explore the idea of discipleship and all that it means for our lives, is that Jesus is worth it. And I'm not going to give you some salesman pitch to say, 
it's all good, sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> that, I, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's being very forthright and saying, it will be hard at times, but it'll be worth it. Let's pray.